Welcome to Rogues on the Road. Discovered in 1812, naked and afraid under the deep and unforgiving canopy of Central Park, this indigenous duo sold their share of the Louisiana Purchase, swam to Port Chester, and set up shop with their co-host, the Standby Gypsy. From their humble beginnings, Rogues on the Road has quickly become the longest-running and most popular food and beverage podcast in recorded history. So, sit back, pour a cold pint, and tighten your spray skirt, you ninny-muggin. Hello, and thanks for joining us again for another fun episode. Uh, I'm Rich. I'm Matt, and we are uh, podcasting live again on the road in Terrytown, New York. This at the is Coffee Lab. We are at Coffee Lab, so welcome back. Thank you. Guest, thank you. Yep. Mike Love, uh, owner, uh, co-owner. Co-owner. Green bean buyer. Uh, there you go. Green bean buyer of uh, Coffee Labs. The and this guru is, of coffee. And if you uh, are... Coffee shaman. <laughs> there you are. The coffee shaman. The, if, if you drink coffee, if you've thought about drinking coffee, if you've given coffee up and decide to maybe drink it again, this is the podcast I think you're going to want to listen to. This is not your typical coffee shop roaster, which we're seeing pop up around the country in with all sorts of different craft beverages. You guys have taken a real different route to doing what you, you do, and it's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, we've definitely taken uh, some interesting routes on beverage development in-house yep. and competition drinks and a whole lot of collaborations with other craft makers, whether it be Distillers, brewers, chocolate makers, chocolatiers. Yeah, <laughs> it, it all seems there's to such a strong relationship between all of them by the sounds of it. And you didn't think there was once you start once you start seeing the relationships, it, it becomes very apparent how they are all interconnected. It becomes it's it's a natural it's a natural progression when you're making something, crafting something from farm the final product you kind of lend yourself to other craft makers that are doing things that you may be able to work with and we've had some really really great ones as yeah. you know oh yeah that's awesome how did you get into uh, the coffee industry Ooh. i'm not sure if i mike we've known each other a while <laughs> you now have. and i'm not sure if i know this story um so basically i i fell in love with coffee years ago um I was a chef for 15 years. I was afforded the luxury of living in Europe for a little while and totally fell in love with the concept culture, but wasn't sure how I wanted to do it for a while. It was like, that was Star Wars junkie <laughs> nerd in me that was like, oh, Java the Hut. That's what I'll call it. <laughs> okay, awesome. so that, that explains like in, in inside this coffee shop, there's a basement that you guys have transformed a little bit, but I was just down there earlier, and there's a bunch of, like, Millennium... There's a Millennium Falcon down there. Oh, is there? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's one cool. of the... Uh, 1979, one of the, like, 36-inch Millennium Falcons. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> but, the child I mean, and everyone. It was, it was something that I always kept in the back of my mind. For me, it was another culinary outlet, since that's what... You were in, was, right? Yeah, that's yeah. what I was doing. That's what I did for 15 years. Went to art school, blah, blah, blah. A lot of people did. Didn't want to sit in front of a computer nope. at a desk. It Hell just no. wasn't my thing. Yep. 
So always went back to the restaurant. Ultimately, I was like just fed up. It was long, arduous hours. It's unappreciated work a lot of times. And I was just fed up with it. And I ultimately was burned at the last restaurant that I was at. And I was like, that's it. I'm done. I'm yeah. not I'm not working for anyone anymore. And Alicia and I, Alicia at a different time had an idea of doing a coffee shop with her friends. Oh, cool. So, boom. Yeah. You know, what's another culinary outlet? You know, roasting coffee. Roasting coffee. Yeah. Cooking beans. Which is so much more than it, than it sounds. So. I have no idea. So. You should let him explain. I'm gonna. <laughs> so, so the the art of roasting. So, when did you realize that you were going down the rabbit hole in in the world of coffee? Like it's not just sourcing beans, having them delivered, roasting them. When did you really start to realize, like, oh wow, there is it's a, a can s- of worms. There is a serious, serious um, world of coffee. Yeah. Yep. I went. Uh, let's see. Where did I fall into the rabbit hole? <laughs> um, I think I really fell into the rabbit hole when Alicia and I, my partner, my wife, best friend, started researching coffee. And it's like, all right, well, let's go to a trade show and see what the Specialty Coffee Association of America is all about. It's like the Super Bowl of, you know, of coffee trade shows. And that was not what we went to a few weeks ago. No, 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 no. That was... A great show, but a small portion a, really? of what... Yeah. That was overwhelming. That was overwhelming. We yeah. I'm like, I did not realize this world of coffee is this big. Yeah, yeah it's, it gets much bigger than that show as well. Yeah. Um, we went to the show, and what we found was it was loaded with corporate rejects, scientists, lawyers that had traded in and wanted to follow a passion for stuff. And restaurant people. It was like this alternate universe, like restaurants are, <laughs> but for coffee. So huh. anyone that kind of went, ah, oh, you know, coffee's kind of cool. And they found themselves in the coffee industry. And I realized there was so much more to just water and grinding coffee. I realized there was a, a, a true, true science behind it. And once I realized that there was a science, and I was fortunate enough very early that first year that Alicia and I went, I was very fortunate enough to meet some really key people within the industry that really... Educated you? Educated me, took me under their wing, introduced me to people, and kind of was like, hey, this is the new guy. Right. And it just became so much more. There was so much more to be involved in. It wasn't... I was like, oh, my God, this... I know what you know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave my mark on the coffee world. I'm gonna do something that's gonna forever change the coffee world. I did it my, I I did it my own way. Personally, I believe I did. Um, so it's it's, it's a constant, and it's I'm still in the rabbit hole trying to figure my way around. Well, but because there's so much, there's so much new. either new technology coming out in the world of coffee roasting and now it's moving into um now partly with what you're doing and 
going to different farms and actually finding the different varieties of coffee and the differences, opening those farms up to the world as opposed to, hey, you know, we just buy coffee from you. You don't, you don't get to really do much. Yeah, you know, just, no. So these farms are all opening up, so that's changing as well. So are you, do you have farms that are showing up to these coffee festivals as well and explaining their growing practices and terroir? Yes, 100%. Um, we have very, by the way, we have some very excited uh, uh, clients. <laughs> that's good. And, and I think it's awesome. Um, so we have, I mean, a lot of the farmers that I work with and have relationships with are very, very involved. Yeah. Um, they travel to, for one instance, Brian Orleana, Oriana travels to Japan. He has a huge market in Japan and oh. Korea. So he's over there. He travels to the shows here. He's constantly, and he's really embedded himself in more of the education and of being a grower and now consulting other small growers. Right. So he's, re- he's now into the education. He's not about... You know, becoming this huge farm and producing so much coffee and selling everywhere. I'm the only one in the U.S. that currently purchases coffee. Everything else goes to Europe and Asia. Um, the exposure in the last 10 years to small independent farmers has been huge. Huge. It just the, the world and the eyes to it have opened up, and there's so many, so many small farms, so many small farmers, so many different varietals that and so many different processing and then finally what we do here in the final product of roasting and brewing which is actually the final step in the coffee chain but a lot of the growers are very involved in local and national competitions and then also on the u.s and national level so it's it's great to see and what this is where it's it's you're very different um and I'm sure there's other uh, coffee companies that are following suit. But what made you say, oh, you know what? I'm going to not just purchase my coffee from a wholesaler. I'm going to now let's travel. It's also funded. I, I, can't, I can't think of anything better like to own a coffee shop or own something and actually going to those it's going like to those in the candy store. Right. Where, where'd you even begin? right. When we were interviewing Donna, yep. you know, she's visiting the spice farms in what? Asia and developing relationships yep. and so what when did that when did that start occurring so i actually was just on the phone 2 days ago with that particular person <laughs> so that first trip was um with Jim Casales from Cafe San Cristobal in Mexico i met Jim in an event in the city and the work that he was doing and the passion and time that he had put into doing what he was doing down there and as far as traceability, quality control, the pa- he was in tears when he was talking to me. Yeah. And I was like, That's oh, my passion, God, man. this is – I got to work with this dude. Yeah, absolutely. And I found myself, I think, three months later down in Nayarit, Mexico – and you're like, this is awesome. Yeah, and we, <laughs> that was our first trip, and that was 2005 – and Devra, his wife, and Jim, they basically showed us and started teaching us about farming practices and how important traceability is so farmers have recognition. Not only that, if you like one part of a cooperative's coffee, 
that traceability can be broken down and what percentage came from what farm from what farmer. So I could actually isolate that coffee and then build a relationship just based on that single profile of his coffee. Wow. So these are the things that he has been working on. Now it's full QR code. We have his coffee coming in again this year. It was eye-opening. And it was eye-opening to meet coffee farmers. I mean, farming is not... Coffee farming particularly is not like going out to the Midwest, right. to the farm belt here. It's, right. not, it's, it's not like big, big ag. flat fields. Yeah, right. How does coffee grow? It's actually, it's not a tree. So let's get that out of the way. It's a shrub. Okay. It's a shrub. So coffee grows high elevation, roughly 800 to 2,000 meters up. 800 meters to 2,000 meters. You get up into 2,000, it gets really cold, really slow yeah. growth. Right. And, you know, the quality of coffee will be great, but the amount of coffee will be very low. Right, right, right. So I think with that, so coffee generally grown at lower elevations is much more susceptible to disease, um, Insects, pests. But grows quicker? It does grow. But it doesn't... F- I, I Like, Home Depot sells Arabica coffee plants. Oh, really? <laughs> they won't... I mean, but they, they will won't flower. they won't flower because, unless you're above a certain elevation. Right, right, right. right? So And temperature. I mean, right. they won't flirt. They will flower, and you may get cherries if you grow it at home, like, in your window. <laughs> Um, or in an office setting in a great environment. But it's a seed of a cherry. There's two seed pods within the cherry, and that's why the inside, one side of a coffee cherry, one side of a coffee bean is flat, and the other side is round. Right. Those two flat sides sit together. Like twins. Yeah, pretty much. Where a pea berry is basically may the strong survive and... One bean actually is stronger, and the other one dies off. Oh wow! Oh wow! So pea berry is a single. Yep. Single berry. Yep. Single little seed inside. And where is coffee is grown? Um, it, within a certain radius. Equatorial of the, bands. That's Capricorn what I was going to say. Cancer. Between yep. between between Capricorn and Cancer. Yep. Um, with Hawaii being an exception. Hawaii being well, Hawaii is, in, is the, in there. Yeah. Is it in there? Yeah. Yep. Okay. And so. It's um, the higher it grows, the higher quality it is. The higher it grows, you have the cherries have longer to develop sugars, ripen, and get to full maturation. And it's just a it's a much denser bean. Insects have a hard time living at higher elevations right. with the temperatures. Yep. There's so many different factors that come into play when it comes to growing. I have had. Good low-grown coffee. I'm not going to say it's all horrible. I have had good low-grade, low-grown, and it's probably prob- as a as a finder of f- phenomenal coffee around the world. It, you know, probably when you're like, oh, I haven't really found a great low-altitude coffee, and then suddenly, you know, at some point, you may come across that. It's right. possible. Yep. I came across something that was grown at, I think it was like a thousand meters when I was just down in Colombia, and it was just something someone randomly had and they were like hey try this and i was like wow that's well, pretty good yeah it's yeah. A, it wasn't it wouldn't be something that i would buy and bring in for resell or brewing here but 
it was still a good. I can't deny the fact of what was in the cup. And that's it. A lot of my farms are around 1,500 to 18, 1850 is the range in meters. How many farms do I with? Hmm. Currently, if I was to say right off the bat, I'm working with about 15 different farmers and or cooperatives. At any given time? Yep. And a cooperative is... A bunch of growers. A bunch of growers gotten together and yep. bringing their coffee to, to market. To market. And do, do different varieties, even at a cooperative, uh, do they come in, different varieties come in and get blended, or are they kept separate for you to, to choose? And then you my decide. Ah. Ah. So that is a really good question. Yeah. So The art of blending. The art of blending is something super intense. Um, Enjoy your rum. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers, Rob. So, so, yeah, I can go to a farm or to cooperative and talk to them about building blends. Some farms with their farm, with the processing managers, like my friend Francisco Javier in Nicaragua, what I'll do is the blends that we get from them each year will go down and we actually cup through lots. Cup as like, through? As, yeah, so it's basically like a wine tasting. Okay. Cupping. Cupping. So cupping. Not that kind of just, cupping. Yeah, not a, not a yoga cupping thing. We're not okay. putting... <laughs> <laughs> Um, I have now. Those are different shamanic <laughs> things. Um, so basically, we'll go through and we'll cup, we'll run through, you know, 30 coffees, 30 lots, some from different days, different areas in the farm, and we'll go through and we'll cup all these different coffees. Damn, you must and be I'll buzzing. It gets there. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. It does Jeez. get there. We, we were hurting. Uh, are they coffee At the coffee fest. Yeah. Like coffee drunk. Oh. So we'll basically, I'll go through and I'll pick out these flavors in the hopes to come up with replicating that Herrera blend that we get from Roni Herrera in Nicaragua. So we'll cup different areas of the farm and then we'll put those coffees together in a very rudimentary way on the table and we'll take little samples, couple spoonfuls from each of those cups and put it in another cup to try to conceptualize what the final product may be like this is, this is fascinating yeah. so it's almost it, it's if you were distilling something and trying to add you know anything to or it for chef. flavors yeah right. Right. right right or making gin you know right there's thousands of botanicals to choose from yep. and it's all about balance right it's all about balance it's all about how the coffee is then processed whether it's wet dry Honey process, natural process. I mean, there's so many different processes. And then you have now, within the last five years, a yeast fermentation has been starting to pop yeah. up around. And a lot of farmers are starting to use different <laughs> yeast strains to lock down consistency within fermentation processes. Huh. Okay, can you explain that? I think most people don't understand, including myself. I myself. Um, I was vaguely familiar with it with, with chocolate, but didn't realize that it goes through a deep fermentation process. Yeah. Coffee does, it, it get the, the outside cherry gets taken off. The cas- Is the cherry, yeah. the cherry any good for anything? Ah. Yes. <laughs> the cascara. So the dried cherry is then dried, cured in the sun. And what that ultimately is called is cascara. Okay. It's basically the, the skin and some of the mucilage 
of the the meat, right, the, right. the cherry goodness inside, instead of mucilage. I think we had this conversation. No, I, I, no, mucilage works. I think it's pretty. So some of that is left on, and then it's summer dried on beds. And it really, it's, if you dry it on beds, you're sun drying. When it comes to yeast fermentation, so we'll get back to that. I got all thrown off. Yeah. <laughs> um, too much coffee on my end, Cus- I think. Cus- Cuscara. Yeah, the Cuscara. You went Cuscara Dude. first Sorry. before we went. To, we we didn't get, even we get, get done beach. with yeast. Yeah. All right. So on the yeast end, when winemakers are using different yeasts, they're using it for consistency of the fermentation process. Certain yeasts work better with certain grapes, certain fermentation styles. Absolutely. And it's a great balance. So kind of in the in the short version, Scott Labs, some of the some coffee farms, one in particular that I work with, Ada Botley is working with Scott Labs to develop a yeast specifically for the coffee that she has. She had originally visited um, France and a bunch of wine and champagne houses. To talk to them about yeasts. Smart. And it, yeah. Where else are you going to go to learn Smart. about yeah. yeast fermentation? Right. Go to France. Yep. Go to Spain. Yep. Find out what they're the doing. masters. Yeah. Right. yeah. So it's really no different. You're talking about a cherry, a grape. You're talking about the same real product. And and so the cherry, before it gets taken, before the, the bean gets taken out of the cherry, that's where fermentation takes place? Or is it after? So there's a couple different ways to do it. Of course there is. So a full, <laughs> a full natural process will basically, they'll pick all the cherries, they will float the cherries. Ultimately, all the ripes sink, unripes float. Take those out, and then you have your ripe cherries. Those go on a raised bed and get moved around every few hours. Okay. Skin, mucilage, everything. Then you have other processes where it will go through a dispulpador. So a dispulpador. So a dispulper. Yep. It'll basically, it's an adjustable grinding wheels that you could adjust to take off X amount of skin and mucilage. So according to what process you're doing, you can take off certain percentages. That can go then in a water fermentation. Or that stripped cherry can then go on a bed as well for a honey process. Wow. So it's... All, all changing the flavor the the, the final end result, the final, final flavor profile all of these there's it sounds like there's tens to hundreds of different variables that can that can affect the final flavor of coffee yes so with with ada in particular in el salvador i have an option of filling out a sheet every year before my crop exactly what type of yeast how long I want it in a fermentation tank. When do I want that taken out, rewashed, refilled? How long do I then want it sitting in the tank for? Jesus. And I could literally lay out a full methodology of how I want my coffee so that processed. Is, so that it's consistent. Right. Problem is, I leave that to her. That's what she does. Like, And that's what she's good at. That's what she's great at. So we talk about flavor profiles and nuances and what I'd like to see. I have no business fermenting coffee. It's not, it's not that end of the science game is not where I'm else. very, yeah. very proficient. Okay. Good to know. 
it's but there's many different styles there's wash there's semi-washed generally rule of thumb wash coffees are going to be much cleaner really not heavy residuals of flavors just clean cups honeys and natural process are going to be much fruitier the acids will be much higher and what's honey Honey process is basically letting a percentage of the cherry be stripped and laying out on raised beds gotcha. and moving it around. Ultimately, what happens is those sugars start to caramelize mm. from the hence cherry. Honey. Hence honey. Yep. Gotcha. Hence the honey. They and get real sticky. <clears throat> and that is, yep. that's what's feeding the yeast. Yep. Okay. And then proteins, all that gets absorbed by the seed itself. They absorb Everything you can't keep raw coffee and or roasted coffee by other stuff, it will pick up that scent. I remember when we first connected, and so Mike, Mike, and it had you guys been so Coffee Labs? I I knew of Coffee Labs. Yep. Uh, my first introduction was having your coffee up near Beacon, New York, at Bank Square. Uh, at Bank Square, hmm. and <clears throat> and then we ended up getting together because I wanted to look at whiskey barrels and yep. say there's a lot of love in these whiskey barrels. Oh, and I'm there like, was. <laughs> and I'm wondering, like, what would you do if you, could you age beans in, in whiskey barrels? And our first conversation, I came in, we must have sat down. Well, you put me, you took me through a full cupping, uh, which which I very much <laughs> Sounds like it. That's a whole nother podcast. That's a whole nother podcast. And I remember you explaining, like, you know, when you get coffee in, and sometimes, sometimes if it's in raw burlap, it'll, it takes on the it flavor. takes on the smell or it takes on the flavor that you smell from burlap. Right. So it yep. just soaks up. So th- we got together, and we were actually written up in the New York Times on that. Yeah, one. Yeah, that was a. Oh, they wrote a love letter about that. That was one. beautiful. That's yeah. awesome. It may happen again. That very well may. <laughs> and we did a aged a, a very. You were methodical about it, picking what beans would hold up best. In in a wet bourbon barrel, and it just absorbs in a slurry the- barrel. So I I talk to people about that, and people in the industry still look at me like I'm out of my. Everyone, a lot of people play around with barrel aging stuff, yeah. but when I told people specifically how we were doing it, they were just like, "Yeah, whatever, sure, you're absolutely out. You you've, <laughs> you've you're off it. your rocket yeah. now. You've gone too far." Uh- well, Willy Wonka would think you're a genius. So, you know, well, that's what it's all about. It's about, you know, looking outside of the box and trying different things that maybe haven't been done before. How long did you age it for? Ah, so that was the interesting. So ultimately, it's a four-month process. Okay. And we've done two different ways of doing it. The way where we had worked, first worked together was a place that had you could actually pick up, and we did two. We did the Drunken Dog, yep, and then we did the Angel's Share. Okay. So let me just explain the difference between them. The Angel's Share was actually laid in, like, silk laundry bags on top of the aging barrels in a contain- uh, shipping container. Right, right, right. 
where a lot of distilleries, some places just have them in a fixed room and they're stacked up and they're air conditioned and temperature controlled. So you yeah. don't get that fluctuation of temperature right. and aromatics right, right, right. coming off those barrels, which is known as you lose a certain percentage, which is known as the yeah, angel, angel share. share. Yeah. So imagine a shipping container filled yep. with 66 wooden barrels that breathe and you're, you lose about 10% the first year and you lose about three to 5% and volume really and it, well, it's you, nothing lives in there. Let's put it that right. way because it is absolutely toxic. Yeah, I got super, super yeah. lightheaded in there the first time. <laughs> I was awesome. like, oh my goodness, I, I got to walk out of here. Um, and then the second one was the drunken dog. That was interesting. There was a lot of conversation I had with people before I did it. I was going to do it regardless, but they were full on wet barrels. So the wet barrels, people worried about mold. Right. Well, you and I really came up with the idea of it's alcohol. It's in a closed environment. The alcohol will then keep the seeds sterile, yeah. in right. a sterile right. environment. So few and they months, did. yep, few months pass. We constantly we broke out our moisture analyzer. The moisture went through the roof. It went up to like sixteen point eight percent moisture, which. At that point, I'm like, yeah, we just blew this. This is never going to restabilize and come come down. There's nowhere for it to go. In the shop, the humidity with the roaster, never turning on the heat, the different fluctuations of temperature inside the shop created this internal microclimate for this coffee to basically go through a secondary fermentation process. So a post-fermentation, once the coffee was technically finished, mm -hmm. After four months, the moisture levels went back down to about 10.8, 10.2. And he's got he's got a digital yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a meter. That where do you want these levels at? Around 10, okay. 10.2, 10.5. Right, you're in good shape. So they came back out and were like, okay, no mold. Yeah. And flavor that would just literally put you back in your chair. So we roasted it. Amazing. It came out. The aromatics, it was so good. Yeah, it yeah. was so heavy. And you got, it was basically like an Irish coffee uh, from the whiskey barrels, right. but without the alcohol. Right. It picked up all those subtle nuances. The creme brulee, butterscotch. Yeah, like, vanilla and the caramelized sugars oh, and these beautiful oaky notes that weren't there. But underlying was still coffee. Right, right, right. So it was this really weird balance That's of awesome. is there anything in here? Is there any alcohol? And no, because the coffee comes out at over 400 degrees. Right, right, right. It's, you know, it burns off. Right. But all those flavors, and which goes back to saying that how absorbent and hydroscopic, hydroscopic that coffee is. Because it'll just absorb anything around it, and and those there's variables in that depending upon what variety of coffee bean you're getting, right, right, it's right. going to have different levels of those characteristics. Oh yeah. Right. So <clears throat> take us into so you you've gone to the farms you've around the country, and I know you've got some you've got to share a, a couple of stories because they're just incredible. But you bring the coffee back here, comes back here green. Yep. Uh, which is not like green. But like a very light, light yeah. It's light. like a bluish green. Yeah. It depends on the coffee, the density, where it's from. Pre-roasted, and you put it in, in. If you're listening to this and you're in your car, just imagine, you know, a, a cool shop on a main street with a big front window. There's a counter, and in the back corner, there's a. Oh. I know, then 
There's a there's a beautiful me- like coffee roasting machine. I've never seen a coffee roasting machine till now. Yeah, well, there yep. you go. People are like, what is it? What is it? Are is there different ways to roast grinder? coffee? Or there's different one methodologies. Okay. Yes. Okay. So there's open atmosphere burners. There's air, basically convection right, style, right, right. like popcorn poppers, right. yep. just major. And then there's ceramic infrared. So they all produce a very different style and their own their uniqueness. own flavors. Right. Yeah, their own uniqueness. So what do you have? I have infrared, infrared, ceramic infrared burners. I, that's a Dietrich IR-12. It's a 12-kilo roaster. It sounds like you're talking about this is a you know 75 Mustang. Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's got dual afterburners. Like. <laughs> yep. So we're coming right back to Star 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 Wars. <laughs> so the coffee gets loaded in ultimately a big funnel. It goes into a drum. It spins around and then it goes into a cooling tray. Ultimately, I don't know, 16 minutes or so. Let's just put a number on it and say. 16 minutes to right. roast yep yeah it's oh, a very wow. short process at, at a very it, high at a high temperature yep. and what it's time? yeah you want to it depends on the style of roast and okay. the st- what the coffee is really telling you that where it needs to be right so and you could take one coffee and i could roast it six different ways and you're going to get six different cups more one variables to yeah, sort yeah. through so would that be your dark roast, your medium roast, your light, light roast? Light roast, medium roast, dark roast, really dark roast. And Depending on how long yeah. you... And then blending those different yeah, right. style roasts together. It's, <laughs> it's an art form. I'd never sleep. It's an art form. Roasting, what I've found over the years, and blending... To roast coffee, you could be taught how to roast coffee. Blending coffee is where it, it comes into a very different science. It doesn't come like learning how to roast because now you're dealing with pre-blending, pre-roasting, post-blending, and then blending stuff and roasting it together to post-blend or pre-blend. So it's... And, then, and, and, <laughs> and we haven't even gotten to, you know, water filtration, the perfect water temperature to extract what you want out of the coffee. Those are all very... And- Brewing. Right, it's and brewing. Because so many variables of brewing also? Yes. There's, I mean, oh. espresso. Step-by-step, <laughs> step, step mate. Nescafe. <laughs> the espresso <laughs> brewing is no different than a pour-over and no different than a drip machine. Okay. The only thing, espresso is just strictly a methodology. There's a piece of equipment that's applied to get that methodology of brewing. High temperature, short time. Right. And super high pressure. Where then you have the drip brewer, which is roughly four to six minutes, around 201 degrees. And then that's about six minutes. You have about three minutes on the pour over, about three minutes on the siphon. The tall Japanese cold brewers, those Kyoto Towers that you were like, wow. That was oh, that. I thought that was the coolest thing. I had one of those in college. So <laughs> I was right. like, yeah, we all did, but not quite yeah. like that one. Yeah. <laughs> That's about a 16-hour process. Oh, wow. And it's drip by drip. Yep. And then the big cold brew system that we have downstairs, a 30-gallon system, and that's 24 hours. Wow. There's so much. It's it's very, it's amazing growing up with, you know, big ag coffee, you know. I had, I just, I got to share this. I had, like, the worst coffee experience I think I've had to date. Actually happened today. Did it really? Yeah. 
I, uh, I was getting in the truck to come down here, and I just needed, it was a long day, I needed just a cup of coffee, pulled into the gas, it was gas station coffee, all right? And... Quite like my and Green I, Mountain. It was it was chock full of nuts. Oh, and uh, <laughs> not even the Green Mountain. And it was just it was awful coffee. And but I had I just needed it. But it, it got worse. I had accidentally picked up the diesel spigot. Oh great! And, and I got a little diesel on my hands with that, shitty coffee. <laughs> and that made it Whatever, made it better. <laughs> that made it on top of the coffee lid. Oh, so God. the whole time down there, I needed coffee. But I was just getting this little this little like dish of diesel fuel and oh, that, so yeah that's that's my story <laughs> so so what are we drinking so we've got a couple of cold brews yeah we have the cold brews over there i poured for you guys so those are the exact same coffees that oh, yeah. is the herrera blend from nicaragua from roni herrera one so now would that be considered a single source that's coffee? from his farm yeah okay now that's a couple different lots within the herrera blend so that's some from his lot, some from his cousins. So that's the family blend. So why is this foamy and mine's not? One is nitro, one is just regular cold nitrogen oh, really? pushed. So like a regular right, right. anything on tap. Right. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. The nitro one has the huge white foamy head on it, much like a Guinness. Absolutely. And the nitrogen pushed, meaning not, not foamy. Just enough pressure to get it out of the um, tap. Actually, significantly changes the flavor profile. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. The just pushed versus the nitrogen. The nitrogen, the nitrogen, nitrogen is cr- like creamy. It's yep. creamy. Yeah. There is a really nice acidic note on the non-nitrogen. Yep. Um, that's very pleasant, almost like briny, like like ocean. Yep. And that gets taken away. Yeah. Right. With the uh, with the nitrogen, yeah. the structure which, of the nitrogen gas inside. That's the amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Thank you. And what are you drinking? I actually am drinking the Brazil Cold Soul. So the Cold Soul is a yeast that Ada Botley uses at a project in Brazil. So she also manages and consults with other farms to do stuff. So this is some of her ABS, her Ada Botley Select. Ada Botley Select. So if you see ABS, that is farms that she manages and helps direct consults so they adapt her growing processes her picking her sorting everything that she's done to improve the quality of her farms and the local farms around her now people are starting to adapt that use her to take on that style also increase yield profitability quality over quantity most importantly when it comes to the coffee that myself and other coffee shops at this level are doing do you have, do you have a favorite coffee do you have like the mecca of coffee no my coffee consumption is really denoted by what i feel like drinking yep. it really i think that's like asking a chef like what's yeah. your favorite food yeah, I mean, I, there's certain coffees that come in through the year that I'm bananas about. The Yemenese coffee that we have. You got to share that story. I will. I, we'll get in touch with Andrew. I'll let th- him tell that story. So, in short, in short, you go you go to all these different countries, right? And you know, you can follow Coffee Labs on social media, and you'll see when they're on a trip doing different things. And um, 
But you you definitely go to countries that have are, are not questionable, but like so there's some sketchy areas that you've that you've mentioned, and uh, I'm yeah. sh- and it's not like that coffee show where he's. You know, running down the road, and someone rides up on a horse, and right, like right. a and brand new like, button down, like, and they're gun right, holstered. Right, this is an heirloom coffee that, yeah. that's never been found anywhere else in the world. And look, I, I just happened to come across it. Yeah, it's wow. <laughs> no, it's it's nothing like that. I'm not sitting there in the middle of a coffee field, like roasting up coffee right, and then grinding right, right, and right, drinking right. it right there because with, with it's like policia coming yeah, over with guns blazing. It's completely unrealistic. It doesn't happen, but it is great TV. He has a great company, if any, you know, and I'll just throw that out there. He is a, a really great guy. And well, he helped start the movement. Yeah, he, and he really had a huge, a huge hand in bringing more public notice to what we do cool. as an industry. So it was great. Um, right shout out there to Todd Carmichael, La Colombe. We love you, bro. Yeah, um, that, was, that was what kind of started the movement. It opened For, up. It opened up. It opened up a lot of consumers. It opened up view. consumers' yep. eyes into the world of coffee that nobody knows anything about. Right. Now, no clue. <laughs> questionable places, interesting things to just touch on that. Yeah, there. Uh, uh, I've had one super memorable incident, and um, I don't know. I get. Yeah. I, I mean, whatever. I'll, I'll just for the sake of. Farmers and, you know, that kind of situation. I'll just leave it as the country. Okay. So, and there's actually two stories. Oh, they actually happen on the same trip. So let's start with first one. Um, I'm out with my coffee farmer and the set that set it up. We're in Honduras. And I have a few farmers in Honduras. Yeah. So we're out one night and we're hanging out at the hotel and we go pick up a couple of guys that work with him on the farm. Anyway, we pull up into this one-way street, you know, it's like we set it up as cobblestones, one way, everyone's parallel parked on one side. Alternate side of the street parking. Yeah, but never alternate. (laughs) They never never alternate it. So we're sitting there and my homie's texting you know, the guys come out of the club, come out of the club. And I'm asking him, I was like, dude, this, this just doesn't seem yeah, right, this man. Shady. Yeah, this is kind of <laughs> shady. So I'm rolling with it. I figure whatever. All To throw it out there, all coffee farmers carry weapons. Right. It's just the nature of the game. Okay. They carry cash. They all carry weapons. So we're sitting there, and this guy comes up to the truck. And I'm like, Brian, Brian, Brian. And he's like, tranquilo, tranquilo. And he's like, chill out. I was like, all right. I'm trying. The guy's walking up to the car, and he's all <laughs> yeah, yeah. rubbing his nose, oh, and he God. was totally geeked out. And I'm like, oh, great. Oh, great. And he comes up to the car, pulls out his weapon from his holst- from his pants, and sets it in the window and starts talking to us. Where was the barrel pointing? Towards the front of the car. Okay. But right. it was sitting on like it was the windowsill. It was in his hand. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to be a little it's, nervous. It's just there. So in the meantime, I am, let's just, I'll throw this out there. I'm not a gun owner. I am not opposed to guns. What? There's a place and a time and an education behind all of that. Absolutely. But in a situation like that, so you really don't think, and it's a matter of, I'm in Honduras. It's the number one murder rate capital of all countries for violence. I grab 
I grab my homie's 40 cal and lock one back. And I just sat there with it between my legs. I'm like, God, I'm like, like, I just want to buy some damn coffee, coffee. man. (laughs) I was like, I came down here, man. We're supposed to be drinking beers and partying back at the hotel, man. Why are we here? (laughs) So he keeps talking and I'm telling Brian, tell him to put the gun away. Tell him to put the gun away. He's laughing, the guy's laughing and he's all geeked out. And I'm like, great. It's just going to take him one weird moment to right, feel uncomfortable. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're done. Right? So I, mi- I let him know that there is there's a weapon in the car. And I put it up on my lap. So he starts joking with Brian. I can understand. I'm pretty good in Spanish, pretty right. proficient. But they, you start speaking so fluently and so fast you lo- that I'm you now lost. It. And I right. now have a pretty good buzz. Right. I'm like, just get us back. Just get me home, man. Just get me home. Or, Brian, if something happens, you just got to take me to the Nicaraguan border. I'll make my way. Blah, blah, blah. The guy's sitting there. And I'm like, dude, tell him to put the gun away. Guy finally puts the gun away laughing. So we're talking. I now put the gun back down on the floorboard in between my right, legs. Right, right, right. A couple minutes later, he's like, he turned around, turns back. The gun goes back in the window. Oh, come on. <laughs> and at that point, I literally, I pointed it across Brian's chest and I pointed it at his face. I said, put your gun away. I swear to God, I will put a hole in your face. The guy's like, yo, the gringo, <laughs> man, hermano, he's your brother. <laughs> he was laughing and I'm just like, Brian, can you get, out? <laughs> get us the hell out of here <laughs> now. And I was like, and then we're pulling away. I was like, Brian, what the hell was what, what, what was that? He fired around. His friends pulled him away. Surprise! What the hell was up with that dude? What was so he let one off in the air. He let one off in the air. His friends ushered him off. Brian then tells me that particular gentleman was the drug enforcement detective. Of course he was of the area. Of course he was. Thank God. So who great. was tooted out and totally to- <laughs> totally geeked out of his mind? Not the fact that I know as a gringo I pulled the pistol in a in a police officer's face in another country. Oh my God! I'm like Brian, please just get me back to the hotel. It was the next day, I think two days later, we go back down, drive back down to San Pedro Sula, and there was a gang execution a couple streets over from where we were. Right before I got on the plane, he texted me the news clipping. And it was a bunch of dispute, whatever. They locked this guy off. Literally six guys got out with automatic weapons, littered the car, got out, stopped, came back, littered the car again, and then pulled off. My God. We were at a bookstore getting a book for his brother on agronomy, and this happened literally two blocks blocks over. I mean, it was scary. When I heard it go down, I was like ducking him. He was like, no, no, it happens all the time, man. (laughs) It's okay, Okay. man. The coffee so yeah, industry. that's it, and that was the that's the only crazy thing. People have been robbed, you know. People in Guatemala. I know guys, roasters that have been robbed in Guatemala. I know someone that was actually kidnapped in Honduras years ago. It's everyone thinks it's like there are dangers to any a lot of the places that I travel, but you that's gotta, everywhere, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah, it, yeah. Everywhere. everywhere has a place that you should yeah. or should not yeah. be. And things can happen no matter where you are. Absolutely. There's a blog on our website that talks about, you know, unseen things that you may not realize. That goes into the coffee that, that, goes you, down. Are, that you, you are drinking. That you aren't aware yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah. You have yeah. no, and that's actually yeah. really that's fascinating. Yeah. You know, like, hey, just Behind the before scenes. you, 
because you and that may be another podcast, but your Yemenese coffee, the story of how that coffee gets here. Originally how it got here. Yeah. Is fascinating. And it makes it even more fascinating when you're enjoying the coffee, seeing the story behind it. Yep. How it got to right, you. Like right. all this cloak and dagger. Oh, some, that, yeah. Some that espion, was, espionage. In the middle of the night on a Boston and, whaler with coffee across the Red right. Sea because oh, they God. just blew up, you know, forces just blew up the airport runways so you can't fly that's, anywhere out of Yemen. That is fascinating. That is absolutely fascinating. Yeah, that's a uh, Ryan Mill, that coffee, Andrew Nicholson, who's behind that particular project is his stories are absolutely amazing. They're terrifying, they're phenomenal, fantastical like but in the same when you're done hearing these stories, I guess coffee's a product that he was in situations that you would, you know, never think coffee would bring people together right right it's a crop yeah so you know in short he may he had made friends with a i think he was happened to be in a situation where he was with some al-qaeda people (laughs) and some isis fighters in a cell oh my god Anyway, by the whole said and done... It's just coffee. Yeah. <laughs> no, he, apparently, it's apparent, apparently it's not. He really... He speaks fluent Arabic, so he was able to talk to him, and they had this respect for him because of what he was doing. He right. wasn't just some American in Yemen goofing right. off. Right. Like, he was actually helping families. So when they realized that connection between, oh, this white guy, this American, speaks fluent... He has the family's name, and all he's trying to do is help families here Respect. with their lives. With their lives. And, and move their crop to consumers. Yeah. That's it. Super cool. I mean, cool. I, I've seen some traveling to all these crazy, you know, you're traveling to a lot of two and a half third world countries, yeah. you know. I always joke about, Oh, life's so hard. What happened to you today? You missed your train? First world <laughs> yeah. problem. Oh, I got, That's like the first world problem. I got you have to residual diesel on my coffee. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, and we're, so if you're listening, uh, we are expecting our first call-in guest at some point. Um, we won't say from where. Um, so we'll, we'll, hopefully that will will happen if not we may may do another podcast devoted to that are we calling him or is he calling us he may be calling us That'd which is fun. which is exciting yeah all right um, i'm gonna hold on i'll be available okay yeah i think we should definitely hit him off now sure all right let's who's this guy we are calling uh ivanov castellanos oh Ivanov Castellanos is a farmer and a friend that I work with in Colombia. Oh, cool. Um, he owns a farm called Tio Conejo, Uncle Rabbit. Uncle Rabbit. So I'll let him tell the story. Yeah, yeah, that. absolutely. So let's give Ivan a call okay, here. Let's give Ivan a call. All right. This is, uh, we are calling. This is a first. This is a first. We are calling uh, Colombia. Let's see. Uh, no. Let's see. Ivan. Hey, Mike, how are you doing? What's going on, brother? How are you? Everything is just going fine. Thank you so much. How's good. everything for you? Everything is good. So I'd like to welcome you to the Rogues on the Road podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for calling in. This is our first call from Colombia. 
So oh, that's uh, our first call. This is our first call on our podcast, so we're excited to have you on. You're number one, Thank bro. Thank you so much. So Thank you so much. Thank you. Ivan, we've learned we've been learning a lot about Mike, a lot about coffee labs, a lot about what it means to go to different countries, source coffee from farms, how coffee is sorted, picked, processed. And um, we thought it would be really interesting to actually get an actual coffee grower and just explain a little bit about the process, how you got involved, and uh, maybe where you see the coffee industry going. Well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, and thank you, Mike, for introducing me to this wonderful group of people. Uh, thank you. I've been lucky enough to be knowing Mike for several years when I was a very fresh uh, coffee producer that was trying to sell coffee into the U.S. So uh, Mike has been hand in hand with us since the beginning. Uh, I'm not really a coffee grower for tradition. I started growing coffee with my family just uh, in 2010. Um, used to live in Washington, D.C. for some years. I'm a, oh, wow. a veterinarian. Oh, really? Yeah, and, and, and we decided to come back to Colombia. Uh, we have two young daughters, and we decided, like, you know, it sounds like a good deal to go back to Colombia. We wanted to raise the kids with the grandparents. Right. So we decided to, to buy a farm back in 2010, and we started from scratch. You, uh, we, we used to drink instant coffee. That's the, 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 the extent of our <laughs> ignorance. Hey, it's, it's okay. <laughs> we were big fans of uh, Nescaf for a very long time. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you know what, I'm, what I mean with that. Uh, we came to the country looking into having our family together. My, my parents and my wife's parents are young people and great, great uh, grandparents. So we wanted the family to enjoy times together. So we came back to Colombia to my hometown, which is called Manizales. And we started from from scratch, uh, not knowing that much about coffee, but we were very lucky to find that uh, there was a, a world that 10 years ago nobody was really aware of, which was the, the, the world of the specialty coffee. And, and we started going to different places along the U.S. to see what used to be called the SCAA, the Specialty Coffee American Association, okay. and now it's just Specialty Coffee Association. So we went there knowing zero about how to produce, how to grow coffee, how to sell coffee. But coffee is something that is like a disease, a good disease. It's like a virus. You get it and you want to know more and you want to live more and you want to have more experiences and you want to meet more people. So... We, we had our first production really ready in 2012. Oh. And by 2013, we were in the U.S. showing our copy to anybody they wanted to listen. And and I was Me. lucky enough to, to meet Mike at that time in, in, in New York and the Coffee Fest. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> we were just at the Coffee Fest. We're still buzzing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a great place. So we, we were... In some senses here in Colombia, we were kind of, a, 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 you know, very weird people. We were not traditional coffee growers. We, we had different backgrounds and we were totally into doing something different. So we are pioneers in being maybe the smallest farm that started exporting their own coffee because it was kind of a traditional thing that, oh, no, you have to have a lot of coffee to be able to export. Oh, no, no, it's too complicated. You don't want to move just 10 bags. You want to move a full container. Uh, or stuff like that. And we were not that we were stubborn, but we were stubborn <laughs> in a good way. You know, we, we were trying to say like, a, yes, we can do it. We start moving and looking into different options. And we were able to bring our coffees 
through to the U.S. just because we were uh, stubborn enough to to try every single different choice. And, and lucky enough, we we met people, wonderful people like Mike and Alicia, and other uh, other roasters around the country that that found our offer interesting, not just from the perspective of quality, that we are very good on that. It was more interested on creating a relationship that lasts and represents the real direct trade, yeah, the absolutely. fair trade that you know is always kind of thrown around for, for a lot of people. I think that the real direct trade, fair trade is when we talk to each other, look at each other in our, face, in our eyes and say like, here, this is what I have. And you can tell, yeah, I'm interested and I'm gonna pay you I mean, what they do really is they put their, their money where their mouth is. Uh, they, they do the real thing. They say, we're going to buy better, we're going to pay better, and they do. And they buy better, better than pretty much everybody else and get better coffees, but also they put their souls into it. They come and see us. They come and spend time with us. They go not just to us. And, 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 and as you can tell, I may be lucky enough to be able to, to speak the language and to understand it, but he go, they go to people there's really at the basic, basic levels of production. And, and, and they are very committed to that. And, and, and that is something that is unique in terms of the specialty coffee world. Good for you. Because the relationship is closer and it's much more, uh, much more interesting. There is it's, it's a conversation. And the other world is just a monologue from the industry telling you what to do. Here is like, a, this is what I have, this is what I want, let's adjust, let's make sacrifice. And more than anything, let's make compromises. So my production belongs to you and you are my client and we are good friends in terms of that. And I think that's the, the best thing about this is that you create long lasting relationships different yeah. than the other model. And that seems to be the overlying theme here, you know, and a lot of interviews that we've done, we have found that consumers really want to know, you know, where their ingredients are coming from and want to yes. know, want to know your story. And we were talking about it earlier, like, if, if I'm drinking your coffee, Ivan, in, uh -huh. you, you know, on a cold day, uh, you know, on my porch, you know, in upstate New York, I can put a face, a story, yeah, but yes. and a family as yeah. I'm as I'm consuming that product, uh, you know, yep. and I think a lot of consumers really, really cherish that and want that. Yep. Oh, yeah, totally I, and, agree and with I that. think, yes, and, and I think that. The one, the, the great thing about the, the world of technology that we have today is that you can use technology for good purposes, not just for entertainment. Right. You can use it for this to, to, to shorten that, that distance. And, and one of the things that I do that I didn't mention before is we represent other farmers that are not as lucky as we are. So we That's bring amazing. coffee from other producers. And, and when we do that, we share stories with our buyers and we share our stories with our producers and we tell them that even though we are in different countries and different situations, the, the, the stories match. We have the same issues. The producer and the roaster have the same issues that we are short on cash. We have payments to, to do. We have banks behind everything. We have family growing pains. We, we have all the thing, the same things in both ends. And it's just the producer in Colombia doesn't know that uh, people like Mike have to pay mortgages and have employees and they are short in cash like uh, we are producing on the other end. And, and sometimes people in the U.S. Does, doesn't really understand how uh, precarious the life in Colombia can be. So we are not just selling coffee. We're actually selling culture. We are selling yeah, story. Absolutely. 
Yeah. It's, it's awesome. That, that that makes the thing just, just worth it just from that perspective. Absolutely. 100%. And um, Ivan, can you just explain a little bit, um, if you can uh, picture for us what your farm is like, where like where it's located, how many acres, <laughs> what it looks like. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's freaking if, beautiful. If, if it's you just can. paradise. It's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Uh, well, if you think and, and, and if you want to compare with something geographically similar in the U.S., I think that the Blue Mountains oh, wow. uh, okay, are a little bit similar, a little oh, bit wow. like a broken little hills after hill after hill after hill. Um, we have a, a, a production that is uh, has around 25 acres at this time, 25 to 28 acres. That's uh, modest. Very hilly. Yeah, it's, 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 not, it's, it's not flat. There is no flat lands. There are right. uh, just where the houses are. And everything is just a, a, a little piece of side on the mountain. We bought the farm a little bit smaller and we have planted so many trees, not coffee trees, but just regular uh, local trees. Uh, it's an extremely has biodiverse us. farm. Mm. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. We, we wanted to have our birds back. We wanted to have something that is... Uh, the, the way I see it is I'm not the owner of the farm. I'm the stewardship for my daughter's farms. Yep. So what we do is we, we, we create something better every every day. We try to protect the water. We try not to waste. We and try not to burn. We try not to contaminate. And and in doing that, we also have fun and we produce a good product. So I think it's a win-win situation. That has definitely painted a picture in yeah, my I've mind. <laughs> Took me to Wales for a little bit. And how uh, when you harvest, when you grow and harvest coffee, um, is it is it like there's you know uh, tr trees the the sorry shrubs the technically you can call them trees that tre we all trees, know that coffee trees shrubs shrub. yeah they flower they they uh, are fertilized produce a cherry and then you harvest the cherry what's the time uh -huh. what's the time frame on that and and do you have I mean are you harvesting every other month or is it like once a year how does that work huh. uh, that's interesting Colombia is a little bit different than other countries and farms like mine that are very high in the mountains we have a pattern a little bit different than the standard most countries have one harvest season very strong harvest season either in the first semester or second semester it depends on which side of the equator are you in colombia normally we have two peaks of production one in may another one in october uh but you can you could say that in Colombia, at least in, in, in farms like mine, really high in the mountains, we are harvesting pretty much year round. Uh, around ten months of the year, we have coffee that needs to be picked. Oh, wow. And in, in high season, we will harvest every day for for two and a half months. And in low season, we'll harvest every two or three weeks uh, all, around the year, except all by August, hand. September, yes, yeah. year round, except August, basically. Okay, all and by hand, all by hand. All by hand. Yes, it's impossible to mechanize in Colombia. I mean, this is it's in a small farm. And it's totally on the hills. There, there will be no machinery yeah. that you can use. And even if there were machinery for specialty coffee, your harvesting techniques are a very important component of quality. So huh. if you don't harvest properly in terms of it has to be perfect or ripe and certain degree of overripe, then your coffees will not taste the way you are promoting them. So what we have to do is we have to have employees that work with us year-round full-timers we have a, a, a big number of full-timers which is kind of a not the style not the regular style in, in most farms they have one employee and a bunch of uh, seasonal workers we have a bunch of workers and a little bit of uh, seasonal ones now Ivan, and yes can you touch can you just kind of give everyone kind of a feel for 
you do have um, you do have an amount of staff that you actually employ give yes. housing to oh wow yes so can yes. we talk about what you do for them and how that works yes. on your farm yes the, the big difference in between our farm and other farms is like i was saying we have a large staff that is living at the farm working at the farm full time we provide them with housing they have a, a full payment like any other employee on the country in the country where it's called the legal wage so they got the payment they are uh, they have security social security they have education retirement awesome. and all the things so we have uh, 12 people working full time at the farm another farm and if you compare my farm to the farm next door they will have one employee that is full time that gets all the benefits and everybody else will be contract as a as a as a seasonal worker right. we don't really do that we and the reason that we do that is because quality cannot be really touched to people in just one season nope. so i have had the same employees for the last 9 years and i have no problems with quality and we are a team i i don't really feel like the owner we are uh, I know, it's, this, it's a symbiotic relationship. Yes, it's a family, but more than that, if I don't if I don't sell coffee, producing has no meaning. And if I sell coffee and their producing is bad, then my effort will be min also uh, useless. So we have to be in the same boat, and uh, we respect each other. There is a, I, I don't do that much field work. I do more intellectual work. Uh, they we are a team. And we, we decide what is the best, and we talk to people like Mike. Hey, Mike, what which flavors are you looking for? Right. Which things do you need? And then we just produce based on that feedback. So uh, at the end, we are a big family. We producers, our employees, and, and our buyers, we become a big family. And, and I'm very happy because I can share, like I say, those experiences. I can tell Mike, hey, look at this. My farmers are doing this, or my friends, or our country. And that, in the same sense, I can tell my farmers, look, this is Mike, the guy that has been buying our coffee. <laughs> when Mike and Alicia came to Colombia this year, people was very amazed, like, wow, this is real people, <laughs> humble people, they come down to earth and spend time with us. And so we don't feel that this That's is awesome. that most producers feel. It's like, a, wow, we are just part of one team looking into having good coffee. And Ivan, do you see this happening more and more in in coffee agriculture and and the coffee business? Um, well, I, I'm I'm always a, a, a chronic optimistic guy. <laughs> you but sound like it. That, yeah, <laughs> but I don't think it's that simple, unfortunately, because um, economy and reality sometimes don't go hand in hand. Right. So this year we had some of the worst prices in coffee in history. I'm not talking about specialty coffee. I'm talking about general coffee production. The C and market. Indirectly, indirectly, that affects the industry of specialty coffees because it's, it's a hard transition. Moving from producing a, a commodity to produce a, a, a luxury product is not an easy transition. It's expensive. Yeah. And most of the issues are not in production. Colombia is able to produce great coffees. It's, it's selling coffee, which is very hard. Yeah. Establishing these relationships, like the one Mike and I have, is not the common thing it, that requires certain personalities certain attitude and, and certain uh, skills that not every producer has and the the policy and the countries still are more more concentrated on on volume on industry production rather than in the direct relationships it, it's so to to make the long answer long question a uh, short answer i will say that 
I've seen both things going on. Small farmers becoming better producers and getting better clients. And each year in the coffee, specialty coffee festivals and gatherings in Colombia, I see better products, more consistency, and, and, and better offers. What I don't see is new volumes of producers. I see the same producers of the last 10 years with a very few new additions, but the ones that have been doing it for a while are doing a great, great job. And, that, and, and again, it's, it's hard to transition, and, and there is no clear policy in terms of that. So I think that this, I, I have hope, always. Um, I think that a lot of people is going out of business, uh, large farmers, because it's just non, it's not sustainable. Right. But I think that that actually benefits in some sense the high-quality producers because, well, you, you are kind of sheltered there. Absolutely. I think also consumers are, you know, willing to pay the I would pay a premium price knowing <laughs> the transparency yes and yes, and getting yes, and getting that's that's a you know that you pay for that as opposed to yes. a a big ag coffee grower well the nice thing is is Ivan is attainable like he shows right. up at my shop a few times a year and is local in the US yeah so he's attainable to the end user, the final consumer. The people yes. see us and he's in here and I'm introducing him to staff or my friends or customers. Hey, right. this is Ivanov, you know, That's the, his from Tijo Canejo. This is, this is this the front is line. Uncle Robin, man, he's here. There's the man you're drinking. So, yes, exactly. I mean, these are those things. And we don't logistically, for logistics, we have to sign contracts. Yeah. But Ivan and I, we... It was really a handshake. He produced a quality product. I'm committed to him. It's agricultural. The quality is going to be slightly up and down every year. You hope That's it doesn't. That's the fun part of yeah. it. Yeah. But yeah. my commitment, if his coffee, let's say last year, scored a 91. And sorry, Ivan, if, if just if theoretically <laughs> this year it scored an 87. Oh, well. Can't yeah. You know, can't it can happen. happen but my commitment is there that he knows he has a sale with me right regardless no matter what. it's right. going to go down yes. because i understand what happens it's like yeah, exactly. a it's like a, a, a wine producer yeah. you know there's there's wine producers that that you fall in love with and each year you're going to get something different but that's the beauty of it right. yeah that's the beauty of it. That's part of the excitement. That's yeah. excitement. And sometimes but, it's up. Sometimes. Also, right. How did you also two... there's a lot of honesty on, on that relationship because Mike knows that the coffee is 87 this year. It's not because I'm selling my 91 points to somebody else more expensive. I'm cheating him out. It's just that that's what happened. I mean, that's the reality of the business. And, and, and the, the product, it, was, it rained too much or rained too little or whatever. They can change the quality of the crop. So it has to be built in, in, in trust. Yep. And if something's going to happen, he will be waiting. For, if, if I have a whatever, somebody steals the coffee or there is a, a drought that kills everything, I will be calling him first person, telling him, look, there is not going to be coffee this year. We have to solve this somewhere else. Or I may need to ask him for it, you know, dude, uh, lend me some money or help me out with this because we are just not being able to produce this year for whatever reason. And those situations I happen with yeah, sure. Yes. Yep. But I feel like I have right? enough confidence in between us that I can ask Mike for help. I will not feel ashamed of asking him, hey, can you help me out? This is not working this year for whatever reason. And, and, and I feel that that level of confidence and yeah. the level of trust 
it is hard to attain in any other business. I, I'm Like I said, I'm a veterinarian. I have a very close relationship with my clients and my patients, but it's never to this level of familiarity. Like I feel like Mike is my brother That's in awesome. some sense, and I can count, count on him and he can count on me. I mean, if tomorrow, whatever reason, he decides, ah, you know, I'm going to move to Colombia, I will hope he will be living with me and not someone else. So, <laughs> and, and, I mean, what's better? better. What, what people miss is like you go, when I go down and, and visit them, it's just... It's not, it's about the coffee and yes, it's about the business, but it's about being able for them to me be with them and explore and show us things and be prideful of where they're from and their country. So it's so much of a, it's much more of a personal experience. Yeah. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's a relationship so much more. I mean, Like I, his age. mom is so his mom's an amazing cook. Um, yes, yes, I'll yes, link yes. you guys to one of the videos that they did from down there. Oh, I mean, it's just it's just a, they're in a beautiful place. They produce a beautiful product, and he mostly focuses on honey process, which is like we were talking a very can be a very tricky process. But it one is. thing, yeah, it is. I mean, <laughs> Ivan came up to. He met Alicia and I in El Salvador last season to meet with a farmer in El Salvador that does honey. But it's not the same because geographically, longitudinally, it's all different. Right. So what he does in Colombia and what they do, yes, they do the same process, but it's totally Totally different. different. Gotcha. So that was kind of cool. And it's this relationship that you just kind of have with people that just works how did you guys meet yeah oh he, i uh, was i yes. was doing a talk and i was sitting on a panel and he had stood up asked a bunch of questions and you're like well, we're gonna pursue this and then afterwards he kind of he came up to me and we talked cup coffee and i was like yeah we're on done good That's let's awesome. do it yeah five minutes <laughs> you yeah. always, brilliant. always have to have have it over a cup of coffee Got yeah it. <laughs> yeah yeah so can, can you just real quick, because I, I just want to, I always get the story slightly off, but everyone loves the name Tio Caneo. <laughs> Tell so can Tio you Caneo. please explain yes. the story well, of Tio Caneo? <laughs> Tio Caneo is, 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 a, is, a, is, a, is a story that um, farmers used to tell. My grandfather, when I was a kid, told me stories about Uncle Rabbit. Uncle Rabbit is, a, is, a, is similar to the bread rabbit. It's a, it's a rabbit that lives in a fantastic world with all the other uncles and aunts. So around is Uncle the Fox, eh, Uncle Alligator, Aunt Snake, and they go around, uh, and he's always getting into trouble. He's kind of a, hmm. he's a little bit uh, mischievous, you know? He likes kind to get into trouble. Kind of like Bugs to... Bunny. Exactly. He's a little bit like a Bugs Bunny type character. And, and my grandfather used to tell stories about him when he was a kid. So I always fasc- was fascinated by the stories, and... and and when we bought the farm and we came the first time to see it in Colombia, we look at the thing, all hilly, uh, in some sense, all dilapidated, an old house. And I think it's a, Dude, this looks exactly like the places that my grandfather used to tell. This is These are the hills where the Uncle yeah. Rabbit used to live, and the Tio Conejo lives. And so the, the name of the farm actually is uh, Uncle Rabbit Highlands. It's Altos del Tio Conejo. And, and for us, it's been always living there. And, and in some sense... Each day we validate uh, this Tio Conejo thing because we are really 
using our resources to the maximum. We don't waste and we have to be creative. We don't have extra money here and there. So Uncle Robert is always about that, about solving your problems with what you have. He's creative, he's witty, he tries to always think different thing out of think out of the box and we try to do that. So we turned into a real Tio Conejo when we started selling coffee, looking for new clients, different ways to sell, different ways to travel, different ways to mean. And what we want to do with our farm is to prove that coffee farming doesn't have to be an industry without a heart. It has it can be a very, very nice work and it can be shared and it can be actually uh, copied other farmers can do what we do they don't have to do anything crazy just come and ask and, and we can help and that's what we do we, we share our information we bring coffee from other producers that don't have the time or the luck and and we have created a very nice relationship with a bunch of uh, crazy people like mike and and some others <laughs> that are just great people it, it makes it make it all worth sometimes i have people that I've been visiting for six or seven years that have never bought one bean of coffee from me. And sometimes I, I hope they are never going to do it because then this relationship that we have, very honest, may be destroyed. But but it's, it's, it's more than just selling something. I guess if it was not coffee, I'll be selling butter or whatever. I, I think that all we'll be looking for was the relationships. Yeah. Right. Having the time to sit down with Mike and Alicia and have a coffee for the heck of it. And like last time I came to visit with now coffee. I said, what are you doing here? I just wanted to say hello. I'm with New York and you are my friend. So I stopped to say hello. No business attached. Yeah, just, it was just kind of like cool. he popped because in. I was like, whoa, whoa, what are you doing here? <laughs> And, you know, it's funny. I don't know if it's ironic, but, you know, the whole point of coffee is for people to get together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's essential. And mm -hmm. that's the basis. You it's know, pretty. coffee shops, coffee houses, yeah, yeah. that's mm -hmm. what you do. And yeah. so why shouldn't the it practice is. of growing and producing and roasting coffee be, be based right. on that and right. be any different? Right. Awesome. Mm -hmm. That's, um, uh, Ivan, this is amazing. I, I, have one, Thank you. I have one last question. Um, yes. So uh, get up in the morning, beautiful morning hills you know you're at your farm you got your you got your perfect cup of coffee which i'm 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 assuming you drink pretty much your own coffee or friends and most of the time yes. most of the time yeah. it's also hard to get good coffees from other countries in colombia it's, it's, it's a challenge yeah. sometimes when i travel i steal some bags from coffee from mike and some other producers and have them at handy to to drink something else just to yeah. do something different uh-huh and what so, like a breakfast, what would be a classic kind of Colombian Highland breakfast that you'd have with your coffee? Oh, boy, this brings <laughs> me back to it. good times. Yes, man, that is a good question. And let me tell you that the standard one, when I get up in the morning at home, my mom is cooking, first thing is an arepa. An arepa is like a big, thick tortilla, mm -hmm. but Ooh. it's a different type of corn. So it's kind of sweet, kind of no too much taste, mm. a little bit of cheese on top that is melted, uh, scrambled eggs with, with uh, onions and, and, and tomato. Uh, and it's possible that we can have something that's called calentado, which is basically uh, refried beans with rice. Uh, we eat a lot of beans, different than Mexican beans, but it's possible in the morning you will get scrambled, I mean, those beans, a little bit of rice, overheat it, and just serve next to your, your eggs and your arepa. And uh, coffee, of course, but sometimes we have great uh, cocoa, 100% cocoa chocolate, delicious uh, from oh, wow. some other friends that produce coffee chocolate nearby. That's an amazing that fruit. That sounds got some crazy fruit. I would imagine you'd have uh, amazing yes. oranges fruit. from just from a squeeze from the tree to your table and bananas, oh. papayas. 
any type of fruit that you want. That sounds like heaven. We'll see you tomorrow. Yeah, we're we'll, we're <laughs> ca- we're catching a flight. We'll be there tomorrow. <laughs> that that, that, that way we it's very simple actually. You can fly to to Pereira in one fly in actually one flight from from New York to Panama, Panama Pereira, and it's one hour driving from from Pereira. So I'll pick you up like I've done before, like I did with Mike this time. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that's going to have to happen. At some point. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, Please do so. Do so. And for listeners, um, are you? Can they find um, Uncle Rabbit on online on social media, website, or anything like that? Or are you yeah. word of mouth? It's called cafetioconejo.com. and it's uh, C as in Charlie. Actually, C A F E T I O C O N E J O dot com. And everything, you can find me on Facebook, Cafe Tio Conejo, and Instagram, Cafe Tio Conejo, and the website is Cafe Tio Conejo. And uh, you can see us on YouTube as well, uh, Cafe Tio Conejo, and it's, every, it's the same name. And we we are not as active as some people are, but That's we are okay. active enough. I'd also yes. like to throw in the Tio Conejo Cultura Tours, where oh, they actually have diversified... They're coffee farming into bird watching, oh, agronomy. Wow. Yes. So you can go down yes. and they'll do it, a full it, nature. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for mentioning that. The truth is real sustainability requires three components, social components, environmental components, and financial components. So we care about nature. We protect and we produce without harming. And we actually have increase our our diversity the second one is we respect our employees our neighbors our clients and that the social aspect and finally the financial is we sell coffee but we also sell a country we sell culture we share our country with people if you check in TripAdvisor, my city of manizales you will see the number one thing to do in colombia and my farm in my city is to go to tio conejo Oh, neat! Yeah, and it's, it's, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. It's interesting because in a you know a diverse ecosystem, so an ecosystem with lots of living things in it, mm-hmm. is the most stable and sustainable. Oh yeah, yeah. always. And, and that also works. You can move that right over into business if you've got yeah, exactly. multiple yeah. you know uh, layers. you know layers income yeah. multiple ways mm-hmm. to you've got a very sustainable um, uh, uh, business plan. Yeah. Yes, and, and the thing additional to that is that you are doing the right thing. It's all you have to consider. I always tell people, what, how would you do accomplish all this? Where we are doing the right thing. I pay well. I do not poison or destroy. I do not lie, and I try to do the best thing for everybody. And good things come to us all the time. Just good things, just because we do the right thing. It's, it's simple in life. You just do the right thing, and normally good things happen to you. It's exactly. amazing. It's, it's amazing, amazing how many there. people don't follow that. Right. Yes, on point Yeah. Yeah. On that note, uh, Ivan, thank th- you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for no, joining us all you. the way from your farm in Colombia. And thank our, you so much. Our guys. first phone call. And when we get our, uh, uh, you know, big film crew together, Delta, the uh, Delta, <laughs> we will, uh, we'll, we'll definitely be knocking on your door. Please, please do so. Ivan, thank and, you so much. And if so you have much. the chance to check the, the websites uh, and to see the video, you will get more in, more in love with us. So please uh, we, we, take the time to come to Colombia and enjoy our, our, our place. Absolutely. Thank Modern you, Ivan. Go, yeah, if you're, yeah, and if you're looking to travel, that's where you need to go. So, yes, sir. Thank you for joining us. Ivan, give my thank love you. to the family, Angela, I will. everyone. Yes, sir. All right. Thank you very do. much. Thank you, Mike. Say hello to, to Alicia and the crew. Definitely will. Thank you again. All right. Thanks again. Take care. Be well. Bye-bye. Thank you.
What a good guy. So wow. that was... Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, he's an interesting yeah. cat, man. I really... We have a really good relationship with him. It's just... He's just awesome. Yeah. He really is. And that's one of the, I think, success of this particular podcast. Uh, this particular podcast is that this is not your typical coffee shop. Like, uh, and I'm sure a lot of it's people... It's a big family. It's a huge family with yeah. so many different layers. Yeah. And, you know, and yes, you get people that come in off the street like, dude, I just need a cup of coffee. Yeah. Uh, just, and that's cool. That's all, and that's, and that's all cool. Or, or, that's fine. Or I, I don't want to talk uh, to you. Yeah, or I don't yeah. like this. Yeah. You know, that's okay. I, you know, or, or you have someone that comes in, they're like, well, can you tell me exactly what region, the elevation, how this was processed? Sure you can you tell me when this was roasted? What temperature did you drop it in at? What temperature did you cool it down at? Actually, yes, I can. what was your brewing temperature? What was your pulse rate? And you're like, dude, dude, can I just have the guy that had a cup of coffee come back? Yeah. Do you really even know what the hell you're talking about? Yeah. And some people do, and it's, and yeah, it's right. refreshing to hear that when someone really knows. knows this stuff. As, as opposed to getting up and, and going, going on YouTube that day. And, and regurgitating in. something that you saw right. and you come in and you're like, I would like that. <laughs> yeah, okay, go back to YouTube. <laughs> well, this is great. This has been a, a phenomenal yeah, excellent. interview and an opening into your world, oh, which is We so, didn't even so like, touch on stuff. I'm like, oh, wait, what did we? Oh, oh no, I think. Yeah, th we got to do this again sometime. I, well, I, I do think we need to come back and um, do a Yemen Oh uh, yeah, I'll uh, definitely we'll call. get Andrew on a yeah. call in on that one. Yeah, for, yeah, and and I for I think you're gonna we'll we'll see you again, Mike. Yeah, I think so. Because in two weeks we're learning all about Peking Duck at are we are at, we at O Mandarin in in Oh Hartstead. boy, <laughs> you'll be there. That's all another one. Oh right. boy, yeah, that'll be a good one. So all come right. check out yeah the uh, Coffee Lab Coffee Labs Tabbytown, New York. And they are open seven days a week. We're open seven days a week. Um, couple day Monday, Sunday through Tuesday we close around seven. Wednesday, Thursday eight, and then on the weekends ten. Oh, nice. We have live music on the weekends. Hit us up at Facebook, Coffee yep. Lab Roasters. They are very active on social media, so that's a great way to find them as well. Instagram, Coffee Labs one underscore. Um, and that's it. Otherwise, check out CoffeeLabs.com, the website, the blog, and all. And you're opening up somewhere else. Right? Yeah, can you, oh, that's can you, right. Can you yeah, talk yeah. about that? Real all right, quick? yeah, we could uh, we could throw that out there. That's out there. We should be open. I'm really hoping that we'll be open by December first, with the way everything is going. We're really on track now. It's a collaboration space we'll be doing in Dobbs Ferry, New York, which is about ten minutes south of here. And it's a collaboration between Coffee Labs and Climbing Wolf Craft Beer. Oh, wow. So it'll be coffee by day, craft beer, beer by, by day night. and night. And Perfect. some like inner like twining of both kind of, hopefully. Yeah, well, we'll be working with yeah. some of the, probably some of the brewery collaborations that yeah. we do. Um, so we're always, always trying to get stuff rolling and going. So Exciting. look for that soon and... That'll be another sustainable location like this one, you know. And we are three-star green restaurant. We don't use plastic, you know, none of that stuff. So try to be as local, sustainable, environmentally conscious as you can be. You could always be better, but yep. you do what you can. Absolutely. And if you can't afford it, then it's not sustainable. Right. And Perfect. D and DBAD. Don't be a, well, you know. 
Yeah. And if you don't know that one, GTS it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> On that Perfect. note. All right. Well, Thanks, thank Mark. you. Thank you for joining. Thank you, guys. And, always uh, awesome. Be sure to uh, to catch us uh, on our next podcast. Rock on. Welcome. Thanks for stopping by and listening in. Check us out as well as other great podcasts at Food and Beverage Magazine's Podcast Network. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And remember to eat, imbibe, and dream. See you next show.